0: Well, welcome to Alpine Church in Riverdale. My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors. It's always great to be here with you guys when my turn comes up. And so I'm so delighted to be in Riverdale today. You know, uh, let me ask you a question as we begin. How are you doing this week? Are you winning the battle or are you getting beat down? Uh, maybe a little bit of both, right? Just thinking about what it means to follow Jesus and to live the Christian life. Sometimes that's tough, you know? Um, man, and sometimes you feel like I, I, I'm a total failure at, at being a serious disciple of Jesus. And other times you feel like, man, yeah, this thing's working and, it, and it's pretty awesome, you know? And, and so I just wondered how you're doing this week, how you're doing with your Christian life. And I hope that, um, I hope that you're... That you're Feeling confident about it and encouraged about it today. If you're not, I hope, hope that as we look into the Word of God, that you will be. Because you know what, it's tough, and maybe there's a habit that you feel like, man, I just sunk into that habit this week, and I just I thought I was doing better, and now I'm in this pit. Uh, and, and then you start to feel defeated, and you start to feel self pity, and and you don't want to be around other Christians, and or, or maybe it's like, man, I just there there's this character issue in me that just keeps popping up and I keep saying that thing that hurts somebody or I keep just like I can't see, and, and so you, you feel bummed out and you feel discouraged sometimes by that or, or there's just so many different ways that, you know, the, the world around us can, can try to shape us into its mold and that, or that we feel like we gave in to temptation or, or we're not getting it. So today, man, if that's where you're feeling or, or, you, or you have... Recent memories, at least, of of those challenges and those defeats in your life. Uh, Today, we're going to see what God has done about that for us. Now, we're in week eight of the pursuit. It's 12 weeks long. Um, You guys have been great. You're hanging in there. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you, and it's also challenged you sometimes. So, today... Uh, we're going to get to this topic. We're going to talk about everything we need to be godly. And so let me put that into the context of the series, right? In the first half of the series, we talked about how a person becomes a Christian in the first place. And we use this diagram to remind us that we start by trusting Jesus. And so we learned a a few weeks ago that in response to our problem of sin, that Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the dead so that you and I can be forgiven of our sin. We can have a relationship with God for both now and in eternity. And that becomes yours when you turn from your self-directed way of life and entrust your life and your eternity to Him. And then last week, we entered the second part, uh, the second stage of a pursuit of God. We say that we, we live to honor God. Once we've trusted Jesus, that's not the end of the journey. That's the starting point of the journey. And we begin a new life. And so our key verse in this section is 2 Corinthians 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And last week we saw that baptism is one of the the first things that we can do as a Christian to honor God, to express that, that attitude toward God. But today, we're going to go on and build on that, say, how do we live this life of honoring God? Because again, living God's way instead of our own way is not always easy because we've got this, these natural desires within us. We've got this old nature within us. And, and so living to honor God sometimes just goes against the grain of what our heart wants. And living to honor God sometimes feels like swimming upstream against the values and practices of the world around us. And we feel like, remember, it's gonna be out of step with the people around us. And that can be a challenge. And we have this adversary, a spiritual adversary. The devil is trying trying to work against us. He's trying to ruin your life by tempting you to go your own way instead of God's way. But I want to encourage you today i want you to understand that even with obstacles like that that we have every reason for hope and for confidence in the christian life because god has provided for us all of the resources that we need to live for him and so we see that in second um, peter chapter one verse three this is just our theme verse today By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living in a godly life. Isn't that encouraging? And that is so awesome that all of his resources are are given as a gift to us simply because we follow Jesus. Not because you earned anything or because you're worthy or you're better than somebody else. But God has made it possible by gifting these resources to us for us to live a different kind of life than we ever lived before. And so today what we're going to do is explore three kinds of resources from God. And these three resources, they act like a three-legged stool, right? And so we need all three of them to provide a solid foundation for a life that honors God. And when you have all three of them working together, then what's going to happen is you're going to have this, this great foundation, this great basis for being able to live this new kind of life, the kind of life that we really want to live anyway. God has provided for us to do that. So let's take a look at these three resources, these three legs of the stool. Leg number one is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Now here's one of the big challenges in living the Christian life, and maybe you've faced this, maybe you've experienced this, is that we cannot do it on our own. Willpower is not enough to sustain the Christian life. And we've all had those times where I'm just going to grip my teeth and I'm going to uh, grab hold of the bar. I'm just going to push really hard and I'm going to get it done, right? And you discover after a little while that willpower just isn't enough to sustain it. Because here's the thing to understand. This is fundamental, that the Christian life is a supernatural life. It cannot be lived on our own human ability or on human intentions alone. We need this new power source. We need a power source that only God can provide, and that source is the Holy Spirit. So for example, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 1, When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he's purchased us to be his own people. So it says that when you come to believe in Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit to live in you. Now, the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of force or some kind of energy field, but he is a divine person. And it says the moment you, when you believed in Christ, it says... God gave you the spirit, he now lives within you, and there's a lot of things in that verse that, that we could dig into, but I just wanted to see this one phrase that says that God promised this a long time ago to us, to his people, and what he's referring to there is this Old Testament promise in Ezekiel chapter 36 Where God says, I will give you a new heart, I will put a new spirit in you, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So God says, he promised long ago, and that that promise was fulfilled when Jesus came and he returned uh, to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in every one of his people for this very purpose, that we'd be able to live for him. So, what, what that means is, God, when you come to faith in Christ, God doesn't just wipe out all of your sinful tendencies. I wish He would. But I wish it was like, okay, and now I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to fight that battle anymore. God just eradicated that thing. But no, what God has done instead, and I think that this keeps us dependent on Him, what God has done instead is He provides a more powerful force within who empowers us to follow God's ways instead of our ways. And so what that means is if you're a Christian, you have two powers at war inside your soul. Ever felt that? Of course you have. You have these two powers battling it out, your old nature and then the Holy Spirit. But, but the encouragement is the Holy Spirit because he's God. He's far more powerful than the old nature within us and his power is the key then to overcoming our sinful tendencies to living a life that chooses God's way instead of our way. And so here's, here's the way that, one way that that's expressed in the Bible. In Galatians 5, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When he says, let the Spirit guide your life, that, that phrase in the original language is literally, "is walk by the Spirit. So there's something about that word picture. It's like step by step. Just throughout the day, I put one foot in front of the other spiritually, one step at a time, making choices that follow his leading in my life. And that's the secret to not just doing whatever those sinful tendencies within me want to do. That's the secret to living a different kind of life than the life we lived on our own apart from Christ. And so, I mean, I experienced this very early in my Christian life. When I came to follow Jesus, February 1st, 1976, within just a very few days after that, I, I started to get this really strong conviction deep within me, just really strong sense of, like, this sense of what's wrong and what's right, and it just this, this conviction was, was troubling me that it became so clear that there were things in my relationship with my girlfriend that weren't right before God, that weren't honoring God. Now, we had been together for two and a half years, so we would established a pretty, you know, we had this thing going, and, and I became convinced that I knew that no matter what we had practiced in the past, that it had to change. I didn't have any, any choice. It wouldn't go away. So I brought it up to her, and she broke off the relationship. So, but that's, that doesn't matter. The point is, where did that conviction come from? Why suddenly one day I didn't care about how we were living and and the next day I, I did care tremendously and I could see it in a totally different light. Where did that conviction come from that sparked me to suddenly want to start honoring God in this relationship? Well, that was the Holy Spirit guiding my life to override the influence of the old nature. That's what he does. That's the power that God gives us. And here's the result what the Holy Spirit does in your life, it says the, the, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, who doesn't want those qualities? All right, there's, a, there's several on that list that I go like, man, I, I just need more uh, of those things. That more, even more than some of the others. Who doesn't want that in, in their life? And the, the thing I love about this, the, it really encourages me about this, is that then f- this following God, th- this is not given to us as a checklist of some kind. You, you can't reduce a life that honors God to a list of do's and don'ts. And sometimes we think, well, that would make it easy, just give me the list. But no, instead what this is saying is there's a set of qualities that the Holy Spirit cultivates from the inside out, cultivates within us, that then begin to express themselves in new kinds of behavior, new kinds of attitudes, new kinds of motives, far greater than what any kind of external checklist could possibly do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that gives us so much encouragement. This is the first resource, the first leg of the stool that God brings his power to bear through the Holy Spirit to empower us to live a new way. Now, we can't leave it there, of course. Our stool will fall over. There's more more to encourage you. And so the second thing that God has given to us is his word. This is an incredible resource. And it answers this problem that you, maybe you've experienced that when we're left to ourselves, our thinking will tend to gravitate away from God. That You know, unless I'm, unless I'm filling my heart and my mind constantly with, with God's thoughts and, and, and God's perspective on things, and if, if left to myself, then my mind will gravitate away to things that don't honor God. And that'll become the setting of my heart and my mind. And so here's the thing, what you think is what you eventually end up doing so we need a new way to think and that is where the Bible comes in besides you know think about this how do I even know what honors God how do I even know what what I ought to be how I ought to be living how do I even know what actions and choices and attitudes are pleasing to him well again the Bible is where we learn the heart the will the mind of God for us so for example In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it gives us this really encouraging picture. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, first thing you see there is that the Bible is inspired by God. That means that God is the origin the word means breathed out, so like it's like God breathed, and then the word happened. Okay, it, all the words of the Bible, they're mediated through human authors, but nevertheless, every word in the Bible is also God's word. They're God's words, inspired by him. And that's why the Bible has the power to do these four very useful things that we need in our lives. It has the power to teach us what's true, it says. It's our compass to know true north. What's ultimately real and true and right. It has the power to make us realize what's wrong. It exposes when we're going down a wrong path. So as I was thinking about this, I remember a time I made a joke at somebody's expense. I like to try to be funny. I'm not very funny very often, but sometimes I can be. And I, but a lot of times that, what creeps in is a little dig at somebody else. Or it could be At someone else's expense. And this one time I did that, I didn't even think about it. But then as I was reading the Bible, I started to read this passage in the Proverbs about the power of words to harm and to heal. And boom, the Bible just like, whoa, it totally exposed how wrong I had been and made me realize I had to go out and ask forgiveness of the person that I had said essentially an unkind thing about. That's how it works. It has the power to make us realize what's wrong. But it doesn't just leave us there. The third thing it says in Timothy is that it has the power to correct us when we are wrong. In other words, it shows us the right path. It it doesn't just say the the danger of harmful words. It shows us the power of helpful words and healing words, for example. And then fourthly, it teaches us to do what's right. In other words, to live it out, to train us to follow and to stay on that path that it has revealed to us, to keep us going in the right direction. So that's, that's a powerful encouragement to us that we have this resource. Now, <clears throat> how many of you want to have a solid, stable life? Maybe that seems boring to you, but, but you know if you've been around the block a few times, you're going like, man, I just want my life to, to settle. I just want it to be solid straight and solid because how many of you know somebody whose life is just a total mess it's chaotic it's falling apart it's going every which direction well Jesus tells us how to have a firm foundation for life you see it in Luke chapter 6 Jesus says he challenges his, le- his hearers why do you keep calling me Lord Lord when you don't do what I say I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. So here's the the secret to a solid life. You do what Jesus says. He says, there's two parts of that. First, he says, yeah, you listen to my teaching. And then he says, you follow my teaching. In other words, learn it and do it. Now, a lot of us are happy to learn it, but we're not necessarily quite so happy to do it. And he challenges, he says, why do you call me Lord? You just throw that word around like it means nothing because you're not willing to act like I'm Lord or master or ruler in your actual life. And the result, he says, when you learn it and you do it, then you build your life on a solid foundation, on an immovable bedrock. You know, every so often you see a story in the news about a house that's built up on a hill. There's, there's one not far from us that starts sliding down the hill. And so the house becomes completely useless all the money that went into it, all the hundreds of thousands or even million dollars that went into that becomes useless because it slides down the hill, the foundation cracks, it, didn't bu- it wasn't built on rock. But Jesus says, when, the li- when life brings you floods, life brings you storms, landslides, whatever it might be, you know those are going to come in life, that's the nature of life in this world. You've experienced them. He says, What happens when those come is that you will stand firm because you built your life on what Jesus says. And we find that in the Bible. So here's the thing <clears throat> we talk about being obedient to Jesus. The whole idea of obedience is not that popular in our culture today. I want to do my thing. But think about who God is, think about what God is like. God is good. God wants your best. You know, God proved that. He demonstrated that, right? Because he gave his only son for us to die on the cross for us. What a powerful demonstration to prove his love for us, his care for us. And so that's what you need to remember when we talk about being obedient to God. That Jesus is not trying to oppress you. He's not trying to deprive you of something that is really important in your life. He wants you to have a solid life to be able to withstand the troubles that life will bring. The kind of life we have when we put the Bible into practice in real life. Okay? So there's two incredible divine resources God has given us. His Holy Spirit, the written word, But there's one more. The third leg of the stool is one that I think many Christians in our culture today don't really fully appreciate. The third leg of the stool is God's people. So here's the problem, that we think we can live this new kind of life on our own without help, without support from a caring community of like-minded people who are trying to do the same thing. And I think this is kind of a uniquely American problem maybe I haven't lived much elsewhere, but I do see it in America, this rugged individualism, this this spirit of self-sufficiency in our culture. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. But the reality is you cannot live for God in isolation. We need the help of other like-minded people in order to succeed in this life that God has given us. And so God uses Christians with all their strengths, And with all their weaknesses, he uses both of those in our lives to help us to stay on track. Now it happens in two ways. It happens in one-on-one relationships and it happens in the the larger working of the church as a whole. So in one-on-one relationships, look at Galatians chapter 6. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Now, three observations from these verses. First of all, right at the very beginning, he calls us brothers and sisters. So, there's no orphans, there's no only children in the family of God. We're all related to each other. When you you come to follow Jesus, you become part of his family. We are brothers and sisters together. The second thing, he says, we need other people to help us stay on the right path. You and I need people who can gently and humbly correct us at times in our lives. I've Had that happen, it's not easy. But by the way, it has to be gentle and humble. It has to be or it's just going to cause more problems than it could solve, right? It's not going to be received. It's not going to have a fruitful effect unless it's gentle and humble. But it has to happen. We need that to happen in our lives. And you know what? He's calling us to be that person for someone else, too, who needs to hear from another Christian to encourage them and help them keep going in the right direction. And then thirdly, he says, we're called to share each other's burdens. Not just the spiritual burden like you're going, maybe you need to be corrected, but, but every kind of burden you can think of in life from emotional, physical, financial, whatever it might be. I remember 10 years ago when my first wife died, I, I was pretty lost for a while. And there was a, a good Christian brother um, who jumped right in? In fact, he's the first person I called. He jumped right in right away, and he helped me through those first days. Helped me. One of the great things he did was he told me I need to stop trying to make things happen and let and trust other people to do it. Right. And then before not before long, within the next few weeks, some other Christian friends came and they, they did all the work to put on this big yard sale. We were living in uh, in a big house because our our kids had just grown up and left the nest and. And they did all the work to host this big yard sale. I didn't have to do anything, but it was really important to find a way to deal with my wife's material goods and also to prepare to move into a smaller place that was just my size. And they did all that. And I could give many, many other examples of people sharing my burdens at that time when, when, it, when life was tough. And not just in that time, but ever since I've been a Christian, over and over and over and over again, people have shared my burdens, and I've had opportunity to share in theirs as well. And you know what? He says, when we do that, then we're being obedient to Jesus. And so my point is that we all need people to share our burdens sometimes. We all need people to lovingly correct us at times and all of that's going to help us live a life that honors God. Okay. Now, that principle also applies in the congregation as a whole. So just take a look at this passage that kind of indicates that. Romans 12. In his grace, God has given us different kinds of gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others... Serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Every one of us has different gifts given to us by God, different abilities that he gives to us so that we can serve the rest of the faith family. If we're living in isolation as a Christian, then a passage like this doesn't make any sense whatsoever, does it? People who give need people who teach, people who encourage need people who serve people who lead need people who show mercy you see you see how it works none of us is self-contained none of us can do everything we need each other in one-on-one relationships but also in the life and working of the church as a whole so here's here's what i'm saying that when you met jesus something new began in you a new life And if you haven't crossed that line of faith yet, this is what lies ahead for you. This is one of the reasons why you would think about doing that. This new life lies ahead. It's in store for you. So today I'm saying, let's live it. Let's live a new way. Let's break out of the old life with its pain and chaos and trouble and addiction and all the things that go with a life apart from Christ. Let's live this new life. God is calling you into something better. And what's so encouraging is he did not leave you on your own to make that happen, but provided you with divine resources to live a life that honors him. And so I'm encouraging you to cultivate an awareness and a dependence on the Holy Spirit and read your Bible and listen to Bible teaching and get together in a small group with people who are discussing the Bible and get connected in relationships that can help and encourage you And you know what? We're going to talk about all of those practices in more detail, in practical detail next week about how we can live that out in some daily habits that we can develop. But here's two takeaways for now, for this morning, two takeaways. Kind of bigger picture takeaways. First of all, how are you going to think about the Christian life? How are you going to approach to view the whole idea of the Christian life. Because some of us, our default setting is to look at this as an obligation. To look at this like, oh, the Christian life means you're following a whole new set of rules. And if you don't follow those rules, then God's not gonna love you as much or, or God's, not, God's gonna be mad at you. Because I know many of us grew up in religious systems where, that, where we approach God that way. And, and, and we need to re- reevaluate how we think about the whole issue. It, not as an obligation, but to think about this new life as a blessing, to think about it as God's provision. God's provision for you to enjoy his best, to set you free from sin, from its power and its consequences, to make you more and more into the kind of person you really long to be in, 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 the, in, in the first place, the person who's changed from the inside out, to enrich your relationship with him and with other people as well, to provide a firm foundation for you when life gets rough. And so it's, an, it's a mistake to think of a life that honors God, to think of it as an obligation or a duty. Instead, it's his provision to us for blessing, for life that really matters. That's the first takeaway. How are you going to think about the Christian life? Obligation or blessing? And then the second big picture takeaway this morning is is how are you going to try to live the Christian life? Because again, for some of us, our default setting is to tackle it and try to do it in our own intention, and in our own ability. So some people right now, some of you right now, you're, you're, you're struggling to achieve the Christian life, to honor God on your own strength. You're slaving to do all the right things that you're supposed to do. The Bible invites us to live it a totally different way. A totally different basis. The same way we came to Jesus in the first place. We came into faith, we came into relationship with God, not by everything we can do, by what we're worthy of, but by simply recognizing our spiritual poverty and trusting in Him. The Christian life, the honoring God life is lived out the very same way. By trusting in God's power to do what we can't do. By trusting in God's power to work supernaturally in you through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through other believers to produce fruit from within. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these resources that you've given us to live for you. Thank you, Father, that you didn't just leave us on our own. Thank you, Father, that, that you didn't uh, leave us with a list of chores and duties that, that you are gonna... Uh, be like a taskmaster trying to get us to do. But thank you, Father, that you've invested in us this new life that's, that's real, that's blessed, that's so much better than the life before, that's, that's free from all of the limitations of the way we used to live. Thank you for that. Thank you that you have given us the resources to live a new way. Because in our heart, God, we want to honor you. We want to live this kind of life that's rich and full and abundant and significant and meaningful. So we're thanking, just thank you today, God, that you provided your spirit. Help us to learn to be more aware, more mindful of your spirit's leading moment by moment. Thank you, God, that you provided your written word, that we can open that and read that. And, and know what you desire. And, and it's going to work its change within to bring about all of these effects and results to give us that, that solid life. Thank you, Father. I pray that by your power, you'd help us to make the choices to engage your word on a regular basis. And thank you, Father, that you gave us these people, people around us. We don't want to live it alone. It's a, it's a tough journey living it alone. So thank you, Father. We know that people, they're not perfect. But God, thank you that even their weaknesses and their failings can help me to live to honor you. So Father, change our heart from this American culture of isolation to embrace the relationships that you put us in. We ask you to do all of that. In Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen.